these events really did happen. Hey there, this is the LifeSpring Family Audio Bible, and coming to you from Riverside, California, podcasting since 2004, I'm your OG Godcaster, Steve Webb. This is the daily podcast where we are reading through the entire Bible in a year. Thank you for being here. Welcome. You might notice that my voice is almost back to normal today. It was a little over two weeks ago that I began to feel sick, and the way I'm feeling right now, I should be completely well in another day or so. So thank you for your prayers. Today our reading is 2 Samuel 15-19, through and I'm calling the episode, A House Divided. The show notes page for today's episode, in case you'd like to comment, is lifespringmedia.com s12e141. Let's get started. 2 Samuel chapter 15 After this, Absalom bought a chariot and horses, and he hired fifty bodyguards to run ahead of him. He got up early every morning and went out to the gate of the city. When people brought a case to the king for judgment, Absalom would ask where in Israel they were from, and they would tell him their tribe. Then Absalom would say, You've really got a strong case here. It's too bad the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. I wish I were the judge. Then everyone could bring their cases to me for judgment, and I would give them justice. When people tried to bow before him, Absalom wouldn't let them. Instead, he took them by the hand and kissed them. Absalom did this with everyone who came to the king for judgment, and so he stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. After four years, Absalom said to the king, Let me go to Hebron to offer a sacrifice to the Lord, and fulfill a vow I made to him. For while your servant was at Geshur in Aram, I promised to sacrifice to the Lord in Hebron, if he would bring me back to Jerusalem. All right, the king told him, Go and fulfill your vow. So Absalom went to Hebron. But while he was there, he sent secret messengers to all the tribes of Israel to stir up a rebellion against the king. As soon as you hear the ram's horn, the message read, you were to say, Absalom has been crowned king in Hebron. He took two hundred men from Jerusalem with him as guests, but they knew nothing of his intentions. While Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel, one of David's counselors who lived in Gilo. Soon many others also joined Absalom and the conspiracy gained momentum. A messenger soon arrived in Jerusalem to tell David, All Israel has joined Absalom in a conspiracy against you. Then we must flee at once, or it will be too late. David urged his men, Hurry, if we get out of the city before Absalom arrives, both we and the city of Jerusalem will be spared from disaster. We're with you, his advisers replied. Do what you think is best. So the king and all his household set out at once. He left no one behind except ten of his concubines to look after the palace. The king and all his people set out on foot, pausing at the last house to let all the king's men move past to lead the way. There were six hundred men from Gath who had come with David, along with the king's bodyguard. Then the king turned and said to Ittai, a leader of the men from Gath, Why are you coming with us? Go on back to King Absalom, for you are a guest in Israel, a foreigner in exile. You arrived only recently, and should I force you today to wander with us? I don't even know where we will go. Go on back and take your kinsmen with you, and may the Lord show you His unfailing love and faithfulness. But Ittai said to the king, I vow by the Lord and by your own life that I will go wherever my lord the king goes, no matter what happens, whether it means life or death. David replied, All right, come with us. 
So Ittai and all his men and their families went along. Everyone cried loudly as the king and his followers passed by. They crossed the Kidron Valley and then went out toward the wilderness. Zadok and all the Levites also came along, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. They set down the Ark of God, and Abiathar offered sacrifices until everyone had passed out of the city. Then the king instructed Zadok to take the Ark of God back into the city. If the Lord sees fit, David said, he will bring me back to see the Ark and the tabernacle again. But if he is through with me, then let him do what seems best to him. The king also told Zadok the priest, Look, here is my plan. You and Abiathar should return quietly to the city with your son Ahimehaz and Abiathar's son Jonathan. I will stop at the shallows of the Jordan River and wait there for a report from you. So Zadok and Abiathar took the Ark of God back to the city and stayed there. David walked up the road to the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered and his feet were bare as a sign of mourning. And the people who were with him covered their heads and wept as they climbed the hill. When someone told David that his advisor Ahithophel was now backing Absalom, David prayed, O Lord, let Ahithophel give Absalom foolish advice. When David reached the summit of the Mount of Olives where people worshipped God, Hushai the archite was waiting there for him. Hushai had torn his clothing and put dirt on his head as a sign of mourning. But David told him, If you go with me, you will only be a burden. Return to Jerusalem and tell Absalom, I will now be your advisor, O king just as I was your father's advisor in the past. Then you can frustrate and counter Ahithophel's advice. Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, will be there. Tell them about the plans being made in the king's palace, and they will send their sons Ahimaaz and Jonathan to tell me what is going on. So David's friend Hushai returned to Jerusalem, getting there just as Absalom arrived. 2 Samuel chapter 16 David went a short way over the top of the Mount of Olives and met Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth. Ziba had two donkeys with saddles on them. The donkeys also carried two hundred loaves of bread, a hundred bunches of raisins, a hundred summer fruits, and a wineskin full of wine. King David said to Ziba, What are these things for? Ziba answered, The donkeys are for the king's family to ride on. The bread and the summer fruit are for the servants to eat and the wine is refreshment for whoever begins to feel weak in the desert. Then the king asked, And where is Mephibosheth? Ziba answered the king, Mephibosheth is staying in Jerusalem. He said, Today the Israelites will give my father's kingdom back to me. Then the king said to Ziba, All right, I now give you everything that belonged to Mephibosheth. Ziba said, I bow to you. I pray I will always be able to please you. As David came to Bahurim, a man from Saul's family, Shimei, son of Gira, came out cursing David again and again. Shimei began throwing stones at David and his officers. Both the people and the soldiers gathered around David to protect him. They were all around him. Shimei cursed David. He said, Get out! Get out, you no-good murderer! The Lord is punishing you because you killed people in Saul's family. You stole Saul's place as king. But now the same bad things are happening to you. The Lord has given the kingdom to your son Absalom because you are a murderer. Abishai, son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dying dog curse you, my lord the king? Let me go over and cut off Shimei's head. But the king answered, What can I do, sons of Zeruiah? Yes, Shimei is cursing me, but the Lord told him to curse me. And who can ask him why he did that? 
David also said to Abishai and all his servants, Look, my very own son is trying to kill me, so why shouldn't this man from the tribe of Benjamin want to do the same? Leave him alone. Let him continue to curse me. The Lord told him to do this. Maybe the Lord will see the wrong things that are happening to me and give me something good for every bad thing that Shimei says today. So David and his men went on their way down the road. Shimei kept following David. He walked on the other side of the road by the side of the hill. He kept cursing David on his way. Shimei also threw stones and dirt at David. King David and all his people came to the Jordan River. They were tired, so they rested and refreshed themselves there. Meanwhile, Absalom, Ahithophel, and all the Israelites came to Jerusalem. David's friend, Hushai the Archite, came to Absalom and told him, Long live the king! Long live the king! Absalom answered, Why are you not loyal to your friend David? Why did you not leave Jerusalem with your friend? Hushai said, I belong to the one that the Lord chooses. These people and the people of Israel chose you. I will stay with you. In the past I served your father. So now I will serve you, David's son. Absalom said to Ahithophel, Please tell us what we should do. Ahithophel said to Absalom, Your father left some of his slave women here to take care of the house. Go and have sexual relations with them. Then all the Israelites will hear how you humiliated your father, and they will be encouraged to give you more support. Then they put up a tent for Absalom up on the roof of the house. Absalom had sexual relations with his father's wives so that all the Israelites could see what happened. So in those days, Ahithophel's advice was very important. Both David and Absalom accepted his advice as though it were the word of God. 2 Samuel chapter 17 Ahithophel also said to Absalom, Now let me choose twelve thousand men to chase David tonight. I will catch him while he is tired and weak. I will frighten him and all his people will run away but I will kill only King David. Then I will bring all the people back to you. If David is dead, all the people will come back in peace. This plan seemed good to Absalom and all the leaders of Israel. But Absalom said, Now call Hushai the archite. I also want to hear what he says. Hushai came to Absalom. Absalom said to Hushai, This is the plan Ahithophel gave. Should we follow it? If not, tell us. Hushai said to Absalom, Ahithophel's advice is not good this time. Hushai added, You know that your father and his men are strong men. They are as dangerous as a wild bear when something has taken its cubs. Your father is a skilled fighter. He will not stay all night with the people. He is probably already hiding in a cave or some other place. If your father attacks your men first, people will hear the news and think Absalom's followers are losing. Then even your bravest men will be frightened, because all the Israelites know that your father is a powerful soldier and that his men are very brave. This is what I suggest. You must gather all the Israelites together from Dan to Beersheba. Then there will be many people, like the sand by the sea. Then you yourself must go into battle. We will catch David wherever he is hiding and attack him with so many soldiers that they will be like the dew that covers the ground. We will kill David and all of his men. No one will be left alive. But if David escapes into a city, all the Israelites can bring ropes to that city and pull its walls down into the valley. Not even a small stone will be left in that city. Absalom and all the Israelites said, Hushai's advice is better than Ahithophel's. Actually, Ahithophel's advice was good, but they said this because the Lord had decided to make Ahithophel's advice useless. He did this to punish Absalom. 
Hushai told the priests, Zadok and Abiathar, what was said. He told them what Ahithophel suggested to Absalom and the leaders of Israel. Hushai also told them what he himself had suggested. He said, Send a message to David now. Tell him not to spend the night at the places where people cross into the desert. Tell him to go across the Jordan River at once. If he crosses the river, the king and all his people will not be caught. The priest's sons, Jonathan and Ahimaaz, did not want to be seen going into the town, so they waited at Enrogel. A servant girl went out to them and gave them the message. Then Jonathan and Ahimaaz carried the message to King David. But a boy saw Jonathan and Ahimaaz and ran to tell Absalom. Jonathan and Ahimaaz ran away quickly. They arrived at a man's house in Behurim. The man had a well in his courtyard. Jonathan and Ahimaaz went down into this well. The man's wife spread a sheet over the mouth of the well and covered it with grain. The well looked like a pile of grain, so no one knew to look there. Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house. They asked, Where are Ahimaaz and Jonathan? The woman said to Absalom's servants, They have already crossed over the brook. Absalom's servants then went to look for Jonathan and Ahimaaz, but they could not find them. So Absalom's servants went back to Jerusalem. After Absalom's servants left, Jonathan and Ahimaaz climbed out of the well and went to King David. They said to David, Hurry, go across the river. Ahithophel is planning to do something to you. So David and his people crossed over the Jordan River. By sunrise, all of David's people had crossed the Jordan River. No one was left behind. When Ahithophel saw that the Israelites did not do what he suggested, he saddled his donkey and went back to his hometown. He made plans for his family and then hanged himself. They buried him in his father's tomb. David arrived at Maenaim just as Absalom and the Israelites who were left with him crossed over the Jordan River. Absalom and the Israelites made their camp in the land of Gilead. Absalom had made Amasa the new captain of the army. He took Joab's place. Amasa was the son of Ithra the Ishmaelite. His mother was Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, the sister of Joab's mother, Zeruiah. When David arrived at Maenaim, Shobai, son of Nahash, was from the Ammonite town of Rabbah. Maker, son of Amiel, was from Lodibar. Barzillai was from Rogalim in Gilead. These three men said, The people are tired, hungry, and thirsty from the desert. So they brought many things to David and those with him. They brought beds, bowls, and other kinds of dishes. They also brought wheat, barley, flour, roasted grain, beans, lentils, dried seeds, honey, butter, sheep, and cheese made from cow's milk. 2 Samuel chapter 18 David divided his soldiers into groups of 100 and groups of 1,000. Then he chose officers to be in command of each group. He sent out one-third of his army under the command of Joab, another third under the command of Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, and the rest under the command of Ittai from Gath. He told the soldiers, I am going into battle with you. But the soldiers said, No, don't go into battle with us. It won't matter to our enemies if they make us all run away, or even if they kill half of us. But you are worth ten thousand of us. It would be better for you to stay in town and send help if we need it. David said, All right, if you think I should. Then, in a voice loud enough for everyone to hear, he said, Joab, Abishai, Ittai, for my sake, be sure that Absalom comes back unharmed. David stood beside the town gate as his army marched past in groups of a hundred and in groups of a thousand. The war with Israel took place in Ephraim Forest. 
Battles were being fought all over the forest, and David's soldiers were winning. 20,000 soldiers were killed that day, and more of them died from the dangers of the forest than from the fighting itself. Absalom was riding his mule under a huge tree when his head caught in the branches. The mule ran off and left Absalom hanging in midair. Some of David's soldiers happened by, and one of them went and told Joab, I saw Absalom hanging in a tree. Joab said, You saw Absalom? Why didn't you kill him? I would have given you ten pieces of silver and a special belt. The man answered, Even if you paid me a thousand pieces of silver here and now, I still wouldn't touch the king's son. We all heard King David tell you and Abishai and Ittai not to harm Absalom. He always finds out what's going on. I would have been risking my life to kill Absalom, because you would have let me take the blame. Joab said, I'm not going to waste any more time on you. Absalom was still alive, so Joab took three spears and stuck them through Absalom's chest. Ten of Joab's bodyguards came over and finished him off. Then Joab blew a trumpet to signal his troops to stop chasing Israel's soldiers. They threw Absalom's body into a deep pit in the forest and put a big pile of rocks over it. Meanwhile, the people of Israel had all run back to their own homes. When Absalom was alive, he had set up a stone monument for himself in King's Valley. He explained, I don't have any sons to keep my name alive. He called it Absalom's Monument, and that is the name it still has today. Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, said, Joab, let me run and tell King David that the Lord has rescued him from his enemies. Joab answered, You're not the one to tell the king that his son is dead. You can take him a message some other time, but not today. Someone from Ethiopia was standing there, and Joab told him, Go and tell the king what you have seen. The man knelt down in front of Joab, then got up and started running. Ahimaaz spoke to Joab again. No matter what happens, I still want to go. And besides, the Ethiopian is already left. Joab said, Why should you go? You won't get a reward for the news you have. I'll run no matter what, Ahimaaz insisted. All right then, run, Joab said. Ahimaaz took the road through the Jordan Valley and outran the Ethiopian. Meanwhile, David was sitting between the inner and outer gates in the city wall. One of his soldiers was watching from the roof of the gate tower. He saw a man running toward the town and shouted down to tell David. David answered, If he's alone, he must have some news. The runner was getting closer when the soldier saw someone else running. He shouted down to the gate, Look, there's another runner. David said, He must have some news too. The soldier on the roof shouted, The first one runs just like Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok. This time David said, He's a good man. He must have some good news. Ahimaaz called out, We won, we won. Then he bowed low to David and said, Your majesty, praise the Lord your God. He has given you victory over your enemies. Is my son Absalom all right? David asked. Ahimaaz said, When Joab sent your personal servant and me, I saw a noisy crowd, but I don't know what it was all about. David told him, Stand over there and wait. Ahimaaz went over and stood there. The Ethiopian came and said, Your Majesty, today I have good news. The Lord has rescued you from all your enemies. Is my son Absalom all right? David asked. The Ethiopian replied, I wish that all your Majesty's enemies and everyone who tries to harm you would end up like him. David started trembling. Then he went up to the room above the city gate to cry. As he went, he kept saying, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, 
I wish I could have died instead of you. Absalom, my son, my son. 2 Samuel chapter 19 Someone told Joab, The king is crying because Absalom is dead. David's army found out he was crying because his son had died, and their day of victory suddenly turned into a day of sadness. The troops were sneaking into Maenam, just as if they had run away from a battle and were ashamed. David covered his face with his hands and kept on crying loudly, My son, Absalom! Absalom, my son, my son! Joab went to the house where David was staying and told him, You've made your soldiers ashamed. Not only did they save your life, they saved your sons and daughters and wives as well. You're more loyal to your enemies than to your friends. What you've done today has shown your officers and soldiers that they don't mean a thing to you. You'd be happy if Absalom was still alive, even if the rest of us were dead. You'd be happy if Absalom was still alive, even if the rest of us were dead. Now get up, get out there, and thank them for what they did. If you don't, I swear by the Lord that you won't even have one man left on your side tomorrow morning. You may have had a lot of troubles in the past, but this will be the worst thing that has ever happened to you. David got up and went into the town gate and sat down. When the people heard that he was sitting there, they came to see him. After Israel's soldiers had all returned home, everyone in Israel started arguing. They were saying to each other, King David rescued us from the Philistines and from our other enemies. But then we chose Absalom to be our new leader, and David had to leave the country to get away. Absalom died in battle, so why hasn't something been done to bring David back? When David found out what they were saying, he sent a message to Zadok and Abiathar, the priests. It said, Say to the leaders of Judah, Why are you the last tribe to think about bringing King David back home? He is your brother, your own relative. Why haven't you done anything to bring him back? And tell Amasa, You're my nephew, and with God as my witness, I swear I'll make you commander of my army instead of Joab. Soon the tribe of Judah again became followers of David, and they sent him this message. Come back and bring your soldiers with you. David started back and had gone as far as the Jordan River when he met the people of Judah. They had gathered at Gilgal and had come to help him cross the river. Shimei, the son of Girah, was there with them. He had hurried from Bahurim to meet David. Shimei was from the tribe of Benjamin, and a thousand others from Benjamin had come with him. Ziba, the chief servant of Saul's family, also came to the Jordan River. He and his fifteen sons and twenty servants waited across to meet David. Then they brought David's family and servants back across the river, and they did everything he wanted them to do. Shimei crossed the Jordan River and bowed down in front of David. He said, Your Majesty, I beg you not to punish me. Please, forget what I did when you were leaving Jerusalem. Don't even think about it. I know I was wrong. That's why I wanted to be the first one from the northern tribes to meet you. But Abishai shouted, You should be killed for cursing the Lord's chosen king. David said, Abishai, what will I ever do with you and your brother Joab? Is it your job to tell me who was done wrong? I've been made king of all Israel today, and no one will be put to death. Then David promised Shimei that he would not be killed. Mephibosheth, the grandson of Saul, also came to meet David. He had missed David so much that he had not taken a bath or trimmed his beard or washed his clothes the whole time David was gone. David asked him, Why didn't you go with me? He answered, Your Majesty, you know I can't walk. I told my servant to saddle a donkey for me so I could go with you. But my servant left without me, and then he lied about me. You're as wise as an angel from God, so do what you think is right. 
After all, you could have killed my whole family and me, but instead you let me eat at your own table. Your Majesty, what more could I ask? David answered, You've said enough. I've decided to divide the property between you and Ziba. Mephibosheth replied, He can have it all. I'm just glad you've come home safely. Barzillai came from Rogalim in Gilead to meet David at the Jordan River and go across with him. Barzillai was eighty years old. He was very rich and had sent food to David in Maenam. David said to him, Cross the river and go to Jerusalem with me. I will take care of you. Barzillai answered, Your Majesty, why should I go to Jerusalem? I don't have much longer to live. I'm already eighty years old, and my body is almost numb. I can't taste my food or hear the sound of singing, and I would be nothing but a burden. I'll cross the river with you, but I'll only go a little way on the other side. You don't have to be so kind to me. Just let me return to my hometown, where I can some day be buried near my father and mother. My servant Kimham can go with you, and you can treat him as your own. David said, I'll take Kimham with me, and whatever you ask me to do for him, I'll do. And if there's anything else you want, I'll also do that. David's soldiers went on across the river while he stayed behind to tell Barzillai goodbye and to wish him well. Barzillai returned home, but Kimham crossed the river with David. All of Judah's army and half of Israel's army were there to help David cross the river. The soldiers from Israel came to him and said, Why did our relatives from Judah secretly take you and your family and your soldiers across the Jordan? The people of Judah answered, Why are you so angry? We are the king's relatives. He didn't give us any food, and we didn't take anything for ourselves. Those from Israel said, King David belongs to us ten times more than he belongs to you. Why didn't you think we were good enough to help you? After all, we were the first ones to think of bringing him back. The people of Judah argued more strongly than the people of Israel. Well, reading chapters 15 through 19 was like reading an adventure novel, wasn't it? There's the dysfunctional family, where the son of the king leads a national revolt. There's raw ambition. There's betrayal. There's loyalty, sex, spies, murder, revenge, and heartbreak. It's all there, and it's all real. These events really did happen. So, for today, where to begin? Well, I think we need to talk about David. There are so many characters in these five chapters that we could talk about at length, but we have limited time, and David is the central character. He's the man God called a man after my own heart. So in chapter 15, after David had been told that Absalom was leading a conspiracy against him, David decided that it would be best for everyone in Jerusalem if he and his household fled the city. Well, in this exodus, Zadok the priest and all the Levites joined David, bringing the Ark of the Covenant with them. Did you notice that? What was the significance of the Ark? To these people, the ark was the very presence of God. And it stands to reason that when David found out that they had brought the ark out of Jerusalem to be with him, he'd be pleased to have it. But that isn't what happened, is it? Verses 25 and 26 say, Then the king instructed Zadok to take the ark of God back into the city. If the Lord sees fit, David said, he will bring me back to see the ark and the tabernacle again. But if he is through with me, then let him do what seems best to him. So, you see, David had learned to trust God. He had also learned from the way God removed King Saul and put David in his place that it would be foolish of him to try to hold on to the throne if God had decided that David should be replaced. 
But David did not just resign himself to whatever the circumstances might bring. He made plans to counter Absalom's attack, and as we read, God ultimately showed that he was not finished with David. Through these five chapters, we see several examples of David's humility. He told Ittai that since he and his kinsmen were guests in Israel, they should not feel like they had to follow him. David publicly wept over Absalom's betrayal, and he told his army that they should deal gently with Absalom. David let Shimei harass him. He mourned Absalom's death even to the point that his general, Joab, chastised him for making it seem that he cared more for his dead son than the ones who had fought so hard for him. Plus, we read about several other acts of kindness that David did. David knew that it was God's grace that kept him on the throne. He truly was a man after God's own heart. I'd love to hear your comments. Go to lifespringmedia.com s12e141 and let me know what you think. Our reading tomorrow is Psalms 60 through 62. Booth! On this date in church history, January 18th, 1815. German theologian and textual scholar L. F. Konstantin von Tischendorf, how's that for a name, was born. He's remembered in scholarly circles for discovering and deciphering the Codex Sinaiticus, an important 5th century Greek manuscript of the Pauline Epistles. He was a very important fella. Prayer requests. Kirsty sent in a request. She said, Please pray for me this week as I fast from mindless entertainment, solitaire, and Instagram, and try to replace that with prayer and Bible study. I fell out of my regular habits over Christmas, and I'm listening to the prompt to spend the week getting back on track. Also, my daughter Eliza is at Worldview Camp this week, so please pray for her and all the campers and leaders. Kirsty sent me a link to the uh, Worldview Camp in Australia, and I looked at it, and man, this sounds like a great thing. So yeah, let's, uh, let's pray for Eliza and the campers and the leaders. And then the lovely Lady Leanne asked us to pray for John Patino, who is a client of hers. He's had cancer in the past, and it has returned. So we need to pray for John Patino and his family. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, help us to be people after your own heart. We want to follow you. We want to have faith in you. And when our faith is weak, Lord, we humbly ask that you would strengthen it. Please, Lord, show us that you can be relied upon. Intellectually, we know that you're faithful, but some of us need reinforcement. As the father of the demon-possessed boy said in Mark 9.24, I do believe, but help me to overcome my unbelief. Lord, by giving us that verse, you let us know that it's okay to ask for more faith when it's weak. We thank you for that, Lord, and so I ask that you would do that for those that are struggling right now. I pray, Lord, for John Patino, Leanne's client right now, whose cancer is back. Be with John and his family, Lord. Comfort them right now and encourage them. Bring healing to his body. We ask for a miraculous healing, but we also know that sometimes you work through doctors and medicines, and however you work in John's case, we pray that your will would be done. Help them through this scary time, and I pray that they would see you at work and that they'd feel your presence, Lord. 
And if they don't know Jesus, I pray that you would bring someone to them who would share the good news with them. And I pray for Kirsty and others who might have slacked a bit with their spiritual discipline, either over the Christmas season or just as a result of the busyness of life. Help us all, Lord, to put aside time wasters and take up the things that bring us closer to you. We know that recreation is good, but when it takes the place of pursuing a relationship with you, we need to change priorities. Help us, Lord, to do that. And we pray for Eliza as she is at camp this week. We pray for her and we pray for the leaders and the campers that you would be glorified and that lives are changed this week. Keep them safe, Lord, and I pray that your presence would be evident in that place. Then I thank you, Lord, for the LifeSpring family. Bless them and make the reality of who you are completely undeniable to each one. You know every person intimately, and you know the needs of each one, and you're able to meet every need in the very best way. And I humbly ask you to do that, knowing that you love us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Send in your prayer request, beloved, at prayer.lifespringmedia.com. You'll find an easy-to-fill-out form there where you can give me any amount of detail you want. You can tell me whether or not to use your name, and we'll pray for you and with you on the show, and we'll also rejoice if you send in your praises as well. God is doing great things, and it's good to hear when God is doing that, so share your praises too. Comment on the show at lifespringmedia.com slash s12e141. Email me at steve at lifespringmedia.com and support the show at lifespringmedia.com slash support. There are no advertisers here because advertisement is censorship. We've gone through that before. You'll never hear an ad on this show. But to keep the show coming to you on a daily basis to your podcast app, I need your help. lifespringmedia.com slash support. Until tomorrow, may God bless you richly. Thank you for being here. I'm Steve Webb. See you next time. Bye. Bye.